0: I think i'd like to have founded a queer commune where lots of people can come and live and we can all be together looking after each other existing outside of sort of that heteronormative structure
1: you are listening to made of human also known as the mo a podcast hosted by sophie hagen who is a danish comedian trying to find out this is going to be a conversation between me and Harry Clayton Wright, who is not just a beautiful person, he's a wonderful person. He's, oh, you're going to absolutely love him. I had the best chat with him and um, I'm so excited that he's on the podcast. And I'm excited that uh, you can all go and see his show in Edinburgh. So I want to let you listen to that immediately. Also because I just woke up and I don't think I have a vocab. This is literally the first words I say today. So I'm feeling quite, I don't know, um, unrehearsed. I don't know what the word is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm going to let you listen to Harry and me in just a tiny bit. Uh, since the last time I spoke to you, I have um, I have released my own uh clothing line which sounds like a joke. It sounds like the setup to a joke because it's I why? How? What? What? I've never been I don't think I've ever been anyone's fashion icon. <laughs> and quite the opposite. It was more or less what I was bullied with, um, when I went to school. Like that that I I dressed so badly that they they bullied me more with my fashion sense than they did with me being fat. And that says quite a lot. <laughs> that says quite a lot about how I was dressed. So, yeah. Um, I It's called Sophie Hagen. And then like an X. Is that Times? I've not even said it out loud before. Uh, from Plus Equals. This is an amazing, amazing brand. And so please go to my website, sophiehagen.com. Or go to Plus Equals. And, um... Yeah, and look at my jumpsuits, my colorful, comfortable jumpsuits. Yeah, it's so strange. So that's happened. I'm going to Edinburgh. Thank you so much for already buying tickets. feel I mean, if you know you're going to go and see it, feel free to buy tickets now because I check the ticket sales every day and I have a panic attack each time because <laughs> it's such a big room. It's such a big room. It's 174 seats. What? Why? Again, why? What's happening? And... um Oh a quick note it's not um this I'm not going to I'm not using trigger warnings so if you have a trigger thing then uh email me through my manager the the on the accessibility tab on my website there's a um there's a, a an email address you can email if you have like something where you're like if that gets mentioned I'm going to lose my shit because that's absolutely fair but I won't do like what I did last year the last time I did a show where you know and Set it over the speakers, and I had flyers and stuff uh and um yeah, I think is that it? Listen to my other podcast, Secret Dinosaur Call, which I absolutely love. <laughs> it's a funny live comedy podcast about the eddy issues and trauma and uh dinosaurs, of course, so I really hope you like it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. thanks to everyone who came to uh see me on tour. It was incredible and i'm so happy and remember to sign up for my newsletter if you want to know when the next tour is happening i mean i know when the next tour is happening but if you want to find out where i'm going and get the tickets and stuff like that sign up for my newsletter now i'm gonna let you listen to the uh the 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 wonderful conversation that i had with the wonderful person that is harry Clayton Wright. bringing sweets as well that's wow. so sweet
0: you're very welcome
1: best guest ever I think already
0: has nobody brought sweets before
1: I don't think so now I'm gonna I mean I'm gonna have to think through about 150 episodes but yeah I don't think so
0: wow more
1: people should I think
0: yeah because I feel like <laughs> you know sugar is a really lovely thing yeah yeah
1: yeah <laughs> other people might not know who you are do you want to just quickly introduce yourself sure Um, that doesn't have to be quick by the way I was just do you want to introduce yourself um
0: my name is harry clayton wright and i'm a theater maker performer cabaret artist and i work um predominantly in entertainment and live art i kind of say i make theater entertainment and installations
1: i feel like i know like (laughs) when when someone's brought you up i've always been like Yeah, we keep running into each other in Edinburgh and then hugging and it's really nice. But that's basically all I know. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I feel so happy when we run into each other.
0: We had that lovely time where we just had that wonderful hug on the street. And I remember it was exactly what I needed. Edinburgh sort of recharge.
1: Yeah, exactly. You kind of have that energy of, oh, you just feel good
0: when you're near you.
1: Is that... You seem happy? Are you happy?
0: I'm very happy. I think I'm probably the happiest I've been in a while yeah? as well. I've really. I, it's something you have to work on quite a lot. But I feel like I've made some really good decisions to be happy that mm-hmm. have been like, I don't drink anymore. And that's made me really level and very happy. And I've oh, just yeah. identified things that like make me happy. What makes me happy? What should I do? And followed that.
1: Wait, what, so what makes you happy? What's the answers
0: well I moved home this year to Blackpool which was a decision that I was very like I'd been touring for about four five years and living out of a suitcase and doing some extraordinary things but I was also like I really need to go home and I really need to spend a bit of time working on myself and so I yeah decided to do things like a solo Edinburgh which even though I'm really stressed because it's terrifying, I'm also really excited about. It. And I was like, I need to, you know, grab life and run with it and do those things that are scary but also exhilarating.
1: What do you? Th- it's so interesting you say decision because that it is sort of it sort of feels like that, doesn't it? It sort of feels like I need to decide to. I need to make this as a decision, you know, yeah. it's not going to happen automatically. But then I also feel sometimes you're like, why is it that I don't want to decide this? Why is it that I keep deciding to be sad or miserable? And that, then that turns it all in its head and goes, is that then a decision if you can't decide it? Whatever. Yeah. But what had to happen for you to, what do you think had to happen for you to reach that point where you were like, no, I'm going to decide to do this?
0: In regards to happiness or Edinburgh? Oh happiness. <laughs> happiness. Two very different things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, happiness is I mean I've found myself in situations in the past that have been quite traumatic or very upsetting or like in regards to like alcohol abuse and not substance abuse and really kind of not great times in my 20s i was just turned 30 in february so i kind of like my 20s were very wild and i lived very like full-on like a full-on life for an extended period and i was like it became normalized that that was what i was doing and i kind of to break that cycle felt like a decision And for me, it wasn't that I was always unhappy within that, but there was a lot, the ups and downs were so drastic and unpredictable that, you know, when someone said, when when a friend of mine said to me, when I was explaining, I'd kind of gone out for one drink and I'd had way too many, sort of found myself doing all sorts of things that I shouldn't be doing, and woke up feeling really miserable about it and that was quite a regular occurrence and they said do you think you have a problem and it was it wasn't until they presented me with that question do I think I have a problem that I was like well I can't lie to you because you know what's been going on and I was like well I guess I do and that was very interesting to be like oh yeah I guess that is a problem isn't it like it's not just something that is now normalised and getting trashed all the time is something that I should be not looking at as normal. It's actually, no, that's a problem. So then I was like, well, I've got to do something about that. If that's a problem, I've got to fix it. And then from fixing that, I felt like that then kind of spiralled into, well, how do I gain control of the things that I can to inform my life and my journey to happiness which is like that regular thing of like oh god what am i doing and then no no no, calm down have a look see the landscape around you make a good choice like so going back to blackpool after that time touring i mean you'll know how exhausting touring Mm. is i was like well i could just go and rest a bit and actually be near my family for a little bit and then make an informed decision once I've had a little rest and actually I found that not living in a city for a bit not having the kind of rent over my head that can be quite daunting I was like oh if I reduce my cost of living for a second and give myself time to breathe and be around my family I'm able to like see things with a bit more clarity
1: do you know why you got the problem in the first place do you have an addictive personality or is it, I don't know if that's even a thing
0: um I think s- with me something that really I mean I always was very excitable but then part of what happened was that I kind of experienced I guess you could call it the sort of introduction of like grinder into my life which for people who might not know is a sort of geolocation, uh, sort of application for like hookups. And I was doing that and then I went and had an experience that wasn't great and that kind of...
1: Nothing you want to go into?
0: Um,
1: you don't it, have to at all?
0: Yeah, it's, it's something that I go into in my show in a way that I feel really comfortable sort of talking about. Mm-hmm. But it's like it it did shape me. It was like something that happened that was not my choice and kind of triggered a series of events of like self-annihilation and regular bouts of just like... A, pure escapism and so with that I kind of that was obviously but before that I was like still doing a lot because I would be very excitable and like I grew up in a town like Blackpool which is has quite a sort of reputation of hedonism like I was always kind of exposed to it and always around it but that just pushed me over the edge
1: so in, in deciding to stop drinking and deciding to become happy, could that happen? Did did you deal with the trauma before, during, or have you not dealt with it? Or do you think you don't need to deal with it? Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's dealing with it. like, mm. And when things come up that are related and that sort of bring something up, it's then processing that. So it's like, I guess it's not every day is about like, I'm not like the happiest every single day. And there are days where I wake up and I'm like, oh my God. But then I have to sort of talk myself down from that and be like, right, how are you? Check in with yourself, look after yourself, self-care. Like even going to Edinburgh, it's like I have little things in place that are like doing Edinburgh sober now. I have certain friends that I can meet up with for cups of tea and not be in bars all the time. And I'll go swimming because like, mm. that's something that makes me happy. And so I try and like put in place things that are going to keep me grounded and also happy.
1: How do you deal with talking about painful stuff on stage? I mean, I'm, I've done it quite a bit and I've not necessarily always done it well not that the show wasn't good but i think instead of going right i'm about to talk about something on stage that even though it doesn't feel big to me right now it is actually really big and i am telling a lot of people this then i've just instead of just you know dealing with that i've been like i'm fine yeah no i'm fine it'll be fine and it's not so after i've finished doing a <laughs> hundred of the shows you go ooh, was i fine
0: yeah and like i just gave that story to all of these people
1: yeah they can they can make of it they can take my story and make of it what they want that was what my when i looked at it retrospectively i was like oh this was quite something that you know like when i would tell this uh, talk to the show about my um emotionally abusive grandfather yeah and when i've talked about him in therapy every single therapist i've had have gotten like goosebumps and they've all been like oh this is really bad and i was like it's not that bad, I did it on stage, it was fine. And they're like, no, it's really bad, actually. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I knew really how I would do a show about that. I didn't know what, I didn't say any precautions, I think is what I'm saying. So have you, what are your thoughts about doing that?
0: Well, I guess, you know, with using, I mean, autobiographical work is something that is very, you know, you would drawing on your own experience and it is important to share those stories but i guess yeah you're right how to look after yourself when you're using that as material is something that i have been talking to quite a few friends about and like in regards to the repercussions of using these stories and you know your family finding out certain Mm. things that you know they might not have known before that because people write reviews people Mm. talk online and you know my mom google's which is not the thing that she should be doing
1: yeah yeah yeah. they really need to just stop doing that yeah (laughs) my mom reads reviews that's she's found a website where you can see all of the reviews so she's just uh, updating it every day i'm like don't do that's the worst bit of the internet
0: yeah please don't (laughs) read the comments please don't read the reviews
1: yeah please don't
0: and also because of the kind of like explicit material that's out there Mm. of mine you know that's something to talk about too where, Yeah, like, I was
1: about to ask what do you mean explicit material
0: well i've i when this incident happened that i like i was like no longer will anybody have power over me i'm like and so any nude image that i'd sent out i posted it online because i thought well now it kind of belongs to everyone and no one In a sort of democratised way of like, well, nobody's special now if they have that photo, because everybody has it. And I'm not saying that that's something that I would advise anybody else in the world to do. But for me, that was like what I really wanted to do at the time. It feels like,
1: like hearing you say it feels liberating.
0: Yeah.
1: Was that how it felt as well? Just like freedom, I'm free.
0: Yeah. I was like, now these images aren't special. And not to say my body isn't special, but I was like, meh. It's my nude body, guy over yeah, it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think I have a similar feeling about uh, my, like, fat stomach. Mm. That was how I felt the first time. I was like, well, I've been trying to hide this for my entire life. And then people said fat. I'd be like, oh, they know about the fat. And, you know, I was just like, oh, no, what if, you, if from the wrong angle they might be able to see it. The, but then just putting out a photo, like a half nude photo, being like, here it is, what are you going to do? Yeah. Because then what What can you do? Yeah. yeah. And I know that there's been... So many trolls and stuff who's been searching for Sylvia Hagen nude photos, a private photos, stuff like that. So I know that they're looking for one to use against me. So I will eventually have. So there's a photographer called substantia Jones in America, in the U.S. who takes uh, nude photos of fat people, and they're beautiful. They're beautiful photos. Yeah. And I'm like, once when I meet her, she's gonna take my photo. And then I'm going to put out a nude photo. And then what are you going to do? Yeah. You've got nothing. And I, that's how I'm sort of relating yeah. to what you're saying.
0: It's like, you don't have anything on me. Here it is. I'm showing it proud. And I guess that sort of recovery of like, I'm now not going to drink. I'm not going to put all of this stuff online was something that kind of became this early initial thoughts of like making a show that used the stuff that had happened to me and putting it into material. But even now, it's like I found a way on stage within that context of the work to be able to use that, that I feel like it's actually through a video piece where like, the text is on the screen and I don't talk about what happened. Like That's how I deal with it. And so it's like not me having to explain it to people. It happens.
1: Behind you. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's amazing.
0: And so that's my way of being like, well, then people are aware of the context of what I'm talking about. But I don't have to physically say it every night. That's
1: amazing. That's so great. That's exactly, I mean, my inner ghosts of all my therapists are like, Applauding, yeah, (laughs) like great, great work, great work. (laughs)
0: Because then it isn't me about having to like relive, relive that.
1: Yeah, because you can't escape from the, you know, whatever part of you will remember or feel, or you know, that is just what's going to happen when you go over an experience like that. Amazing, yeah. I'm so excited to see it.
0: Yeah, it's it's my. I can't believe that like it'll be my sixth Edinburgh and my like my first time low, and I guess I have like a few questions like are there any tips you have
1: oh I think my best tip about Edinburgh and I think maybe in life <laughs> is I think you'll I think it's gonna it's so easy to feel as if everyone's talking about you because you are, you know, you, you do get audiences, you get reactions, you get reviews. And I think very quickly you can get this sense of, you know, if you have a bad show, if you have a bad review, you have the sense of shit, everyone's everyone's going to be thinking about this and everyone's going to focus on this. And, and that can be both good and bad. You can be like, yes, I'm the talk of the town. Or you can be like, oh, shit, I'm the talk of the town. Yeah. But either way, I think it's so important to remember that you're such a big part of what was it ten thousand performers in Edinburgh? Like three thousand know?
0: eight hundred shows.
1: Fucking hell, it's so many, right? It's so many. And I think Edinburgh is so beautiful because it's a community of like, oh my god, we're all just creating things and we're showing them to people and everyone's so vulnerable because we're just like taking our little baby going, look at it and then all these, you know, people mm. are sharing all this. We're all breathing the same air to be like like that about it, but you know, none of us are the focus no yeah. one actually cares people mostly care about their own things and you know most people won't know you're there and that's also okay because you then you get to just do your own thing and kind of be in your own little bubble and make the people coming happy or whatever you want to make them feel and I think it's so especially if you have a good it's almost worse having a really good run because I've seen people go Slightly paranoid. You, you yeah. do, I mean, I've had a really good run once, and that was, you do kind of start going, oh, people must, everyone must be talking about this, everyone must be, and they're not, they're not, they're not, don't worry, don't worry, you can be yourself and you can, you know. And also, I think what most people will always advise people to do is don't watch anyone else's show, don't watch anyone's show, because then you're going to compare yourself to them. I think that's bullshit. Right. I would watch as many people's shows as possible because we're celebrating of course i want to see like my first show people said don't watch other people's shows and then after about a week i was feeling quite sad and alone and then i went to see lou sanders and i laughed and i laughed and i laughed and i was just like i'm so happy for her i'm so happy for us i'm so happy that we're creating and putting this stuff into the world and i get to come and laugh at her show and then you know congratulate her and it's that's what Edinburgh should be about it should be about all of us sharing a thing and supporting each other and isn't it amazing being surrounded by so many creative people and you can go see the show at 10 a.m and at 2 a.m and yeah I think that's I've love, i love that's what I love about Edinburgh we're all in it together.
0: May I ask as well about how you with dealing with the story that you just told about how did you deal with reviews or people would tweet about that subject? Then it becomes.
1: I mean, the, my grandfather. Yeah. Um, how did I deal with it? I think. I think my main fear. I, th- I think it was. I think it was okay because people didn't do what I was fearing they would do. My fear was always that people were going to say, "Well, that doesn't sound that bad." Right. You know, that doesn't sound bad enough that it warrants, you know, a trigger warning or that it warrants, you know, for the show not to be that funny. Or I was so scared that people were going to say, you're exaggerating. And I don't think anyone did. But that was my, that was the scary bit.
0: Because mm.
1: that would have fucked me up completely. But then again, you do have that vulnerability when you do read the reviews. But also I had um, stage fright the entire month. So I knew that the reviews were going to be bad because I wasn't performing well because i was just shaky and my mouth was dry and i you yeah. know it was a mess so i kind of <laughs> knew that people would probably be focusing on that instead of <laughs> the actual material yeah. but in general with reviews what i find is this very meticulous way of looking at it where and that's the same with tweets are they right are they right about are they objectively right you know uh sometimes they'll be like it lacked um momentum in the middle or um uh, there wasn't another explanation uh, like why that. Why should we care about that story there was no lead into it and you can be like oh yeah that's actually true I hadn't spotted that I hadn't spotted that yeah. I Lose moment in which case why would you be sad about that that's just the truth you can yeah. fix it you can work with it and if they're not right like someone was like Sophie's show is about her uncle and I was like well that's not true yeah. <laughs> so I don't care about this racing because it's not true or if someone says it's not funny and you're like well I've heard People have every single night, so I know exactly. I can measure how funny it is, so that's also not true. Yes. So if it's true, you can use it. If it's not true, then why does it matter? Mm. But I don't know if I'm just completely shut off of my emotions and have <laughs> kind of a sociopathic way of looking at it. <laughs> I don't know if everyone else can do that.
0: I'm, I think that it's something that I will take.
1: How are you uh, with criticism and how are you with that sort of stuff
0: i think it, i think i'm actually okay with it because i often find it interesting to th- hear what people think like good and bad because i often think that you can't just accept praise i think you have to accept both in this sort of a way and but it's how people deliver it <laughs> yeah. as well like yeah. you know, it's not just like that was shit. Like, you know.
1: <laughs> anything, anything shouted from a car is never really, never really constructive. No,
0: um, you're lacking
1: momentum in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir.
0: More callbacks. What was the arc there?
1: you <laughs> a build up your character small Thank you, sir. Thank you so
0: much. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, I guess, but. This being a sort of more open access in a way, it's going to be, you know, this is a show that I've done in very kind of small development settings. And so like opening it up, it's very interesting. This is going to be like the first thing that is just primarily mine that is going to be reviewed and seen by a lot of people.
1: Are you self-critical? Very. Yeah? Perfectionist? Yes. That's the hardest one, isn't it? That's what's so hard. You want people to be like, yes, this is absolutely perfect. Five stars all around.
0: (laughs) Or, like, if it's not that, like, bits where it's, like, constructive. Like Mm. like you say, like, you know, I didn't get the lead into that. And you're like, oh, no, maybe I could push that more.
1: Yeah. That Um, would be the ideal review. The ideal review would just point out what's really good and what needs work or you know that but you also have to remember that these reviewers are usually just real people you know most of them well some of them do know a lot about comedy but also a lot of them are just not aware of their own bias as well and you can so some of them it's so obvious you can so sense that they favor men or non uh, more conventionally attractive people or whatever people who are more normative or you know you can kind of sense it in the way they do reviews in general and you can be yeah. like really are you not can you just send someone else then if you're not if you don't if you already decided you don't like me yeah based on not my show yeah you know i think we need more people who are more aware of their own bias so they at least can <laughs> you know what if you're going to see someone that you're biased against just add an extra star just in case yeah <laughs> start from a, from a higher standard please <laughs> Uh, what? So how is this going to be stressful? How do you deal with stress? Because you seem to have... No, I I think what I want to know is was well, kind of the same question is when you sat down and found out, you know, what makes you happy, which is, I think, is, and I feel like it's such a just turned 30 things to do. Yeah. <laughs> to go, right, let's get this all on. Yeah. Like, how much do I...
0: What have I learned the What the last have I 10 learned? years?
1: <laughs> How do I want this to look like? I can't yeah. be surprised at every single bill for the rest of my life always. I need yeah. to have a spreadsheet. Yeah. Um, that's me projecting massively.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I do have a spreadsheet at the moment. And every column is a different color. <gasps> yes. Just little things <laughs> where I'm like, well, if I have to be doing a budget that's like terrifying <laughs> it can at least be fun yeah
1: oh yeah i transfer into my expenses account every month and then i just slowly take from it again because i don't have the money yeah <laughs> so i'm like i'll just borrow from my expense account.
0: but i did it at the but start but i did it like yeah. an adult
1: like a proper adult
0: <laughs> yeah every month i did it
1: <laughs> i canceled my danish phone i haven't used it for four years i've been paying 20 pounds a month because <laughs> i've just never done it and it felt so good It felt so adult
0: I did a similar thing. My bill, I got my bill down by 40 pounds. <gasps> yes. And just little things where I was like, I'm taking all of this responsibility and I'm ringing the phone company and being like, this isn't good enough. Yes. What can we do about this? And I was like, that's a very adult <laughs> that's thing to so do, adult. isn't
1: it? you say that on the phone to them. I sometimes yeah. want to do it. But I had to cancel my phone bill. I'm being quite responsible aren't I? Yeah. What do you think? Do people do this usually? Are you I proud really of me? Like
0: an adult contract please. <gasps> an adult. contract. An uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> and can you then explain to me all the words in it? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so what what have you what have you found out about yourself? What have you Like I remember finding out that I need a day a week where I don't see people. I need a day a week where I don't leave my house. And I I need that otherwise I'm a mess for whatever week happens after the 6 days of doing stuff what well, what kind of things have you learned about how to do life
0: i really enjoy also being at home and not seeing people mm. and not getting dressed mm, yeah and just being allowed to be a sort of non-human facing person yes or a while yeah. to get work done. Yeah. Because the energy sometimes of like putting on the leaving the house stuff can be a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've had to explain that to, well, anyone I work with who set up any kind of schedule for me is like, I'd rather do things on one day from eight to eight Yeah, than... One like a short bit one day, short bit another day. Because once I do anything, my day's ruined. <laughs> yeah. Once I have to shower, my day is ruined. <laughs> I'm gone. Like, it's just not going to be a fun day for me. <laughs> but if I can be home... Like, the main reason I moved into a place where I could live alone was just so I didn't ever have to wear a bra.
0: Yeah. As long as yeah. if I
1: don't wear a bra that day, I have won. I have won that day and I'm so happy. And I can just breathe for a bit.
0: The second you have to put on...
1: <sighs> Your face and go yeah. out, out. No. No, I like...
0: Being it. seen by people and, like having to animate your face and <laughs> move your arms like this sort of like human <laughs> puppet that you are, where you're like, yes, hello, shake hands, nice to meet you, <laughs> all of those I things. I am like, happy, okay, yeah. kill
1: me, kill me now. And
0: then you like leave those conversations, you're like, was that okay? Oh, uh,
1: yeah, do they hate me? Yeah. What have I said? Did I say something bad? Oh, no. <laughs> um, okay, talk to me about sex.
0: Oh, yes. So I, the show that um, I'm taking to Edinburgh is called Sex Education, And it's about how we learn about sex and how it shapes us later in life, Um, given my own sort of history. Because when I, like a couple of years ago, I was like, how did I get to this point? Like, why would I put myself in these situations, good or bad? Like, and what does that mean? Like, how did I learn about sex? And I went back and I realized that me and my mum had never spoken about it and that my dad... Had been the opposite. He would provided a bag of gay porn DVDs when I was fourteen years old, and yeah, it. I then found the DVDs under my bed, and rewatched them, and I was like, "Well, this is a really interesting thing that this was the material that I got to see when I was younger." So the show, yeah. it features the porn, but it also features an interview. With my mum, we finally had (gasps) the chat about sex. And I recorded it. She was brilliant. She like she agreed to it, which was like the main thing anyway, where I was like you know, and she knows the importance of it when it comes to like a mum that speaks on behalf of like other parents that might be worried about it. We kind of were interested about exploring the fact that there is no rule book and that that time where she kind of expected the school or my friends to do it you know she we went into it and we finally had certain chats about like you know also how she feels about their, the fact that there are rude photos of me on the internet like what does that mean to my mom you know yeah these things that are really quite full-on yeah and she just handled it brilliantly
1: that's amazing
0: yeah so the show features this like, full-on exploration of, like, sex education through my story, which is, I guess, explicitly queer, but then it's also very universal because it's, like, it then prompts people to think about their parents' relationship to sex education with them. Yeah.
1: Do you think the queerness has affected the way your parents dealt
0: with it? Well, when I speak, when I spoke to my mum, she was very, like, regardless of whether I was queer or not, she was not equipped to do sex education. Her mother wasn't demonstrative in regards to talking about it either. And so she kind of picked that up from her and she's she drew a parallel between the fact that she'd never been spoken to about it. And also she never then spoke to me about it. And so it was quite interesting for her to kind of retrace those steps herself. Um, So I think adding queer into that, it made it potentially even harder because then, you know, that wasn't something that she was expecting. And she's wonderful and she's so accepting and loves me completely. But that doesn't mean that she's got the vernacular to be able to know what goes on or how to talk about it. Still, you know, I asked her what... You know, whether she thought I was a top or a bottom. And she doesn't know. She didn't know what it meant.
1: Amazing. Yeah. I remember being... How old have I been? And it's a 15? trick question
0: because I'm versed, by the way. Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, what's going to ask? was going to be my final question. <laughs> uh, I remember sitting in my bedroom when I was a teenager. I don't remember how old. 15, 16, maybe. And I was just having an innocent day of just watching some TV. It was a normal day. I did not see anything coming. I thought it was going to be a normal day that I would forget forever because it was just a, such a regular day. And then my mom comes into my room, which she sometimes would do, just to stand and then criticize how dirty it was or whatever. And instead she went, um, What well, is a blowjob? And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. What? <laughs> she was like, Everyone keeps saying the word and I don't know what it means. I was like, I can't. I, can't, I have to move out. I can't do this.
0: How old are I you like,
1: again? I must have been. Fifteen or sixteen. Then wow. is a, sexually a bit, a bit ahead. So that w- it was just, Oh <clears throat> well, mother.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you're explaining when
1: when when two people love each other very <laughs> much. Like, how do you how do yeah. you engage with that? Because she didn't know what she was asking. I was like, oh god, oh god. It was, it's still like etched into my memory. I think I told her. I don't remember. I I think I just blacked out after that.
0: And did you ever have any more conversations about?
1: I don't think we've ever. I think it's when I lost my virginity, I think I said, like, in a conversation, I was like, by the way, I've lost my virginity now. Just like, okay. And that was it. I don't think we've had any other. Yeah, I don't remember any. Well, <laughs> apparently because I knew more than her. <laughs> yeah. It turns out. But also, it's, I mean, I think, I think the Danish sex education is from what I understand, I want to say better than the one in the UK, but I understand that sometimes it's not even really a thing. Am I wrong? Like, UK schools is a bit more...
0: Yeah, it's... I I, don't know
1: how... I mean, I guess that differs from school to school, but at least we had one.
0: When I ask audiences about their sex education, there's a point in the show where I said... Where I ask, did anyone here have good sex education? And, like... The amount of people who don't put their hands up kind of indicates that nobody here, like in these audiences, like did, like regardless of, uh, like obviously where they seem to be from. So I'm like, I, if you feel like there was like a strong Danish.
1: Well, at best, well, so my <laughs> my embarrassing sex education persona is basically that that was my that's what i thought i yeah. thought well and Denmark, like we learn everything at school so i know everything so i pitched a, a documentary show comedy show which was going to be me teaching brits about sex education in a funny accessible way so i was like you can just put this on youtube or whatever and then kids can see this and so my whole thought behind it was you know let me teach people <laughs> and then i spoke to a sex education what was she she was a She was working for a sexual something charity. I completely forget the charity. But she knew everything about sex, basically. And then she mentioned, and now it's so embarrassing because I forgot it again. (laughs) I keep forgetting what it's called. This is so bad. The, um, (laughs) what they call the female condom. Yeah. That's very much. Yes. Is that the one? The kind of sheet. Yeah. The sheet you put over. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Which I know has nothing to do with females. It's to do with vaginas, but it's different. And I was like, sorry, what? She's like, yeah, you know. I was like, "Sorry, what's that?" And I was like, "This is so embarrassing." I thought that I knew everything, but I'd never heard of, I'd never heard of that. I was what twenty-eight. No one had ever told me that, that even existed. And I was like, "You know what?" I think the conclusion is that none of us, know ever, none of us have gotten the the
0: adequate yeah, <laughs> the education. The adequate that training sure we all need.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's considering how like much we've just kind of sex kinda... for
0: pleasure, consent, like yeah. all of these things that would be really useful. to like, yeah. have conversations about in school. And also other things that I would love to have learned, like taxes. Oh, like,
1: I, I can't. It makes me so frustrated that we don't learn the...
0: All of these like basic life skills yeah. that I'm like...
1: But also things like at, in maths, like geometry and any kind of measuring stuff. If they had just said to me, yeah, because one day you need to put furniture into a room. Yeah, And you need to know how to put it in there. I would have been like, oh, yes, please teach me yeah. this. Because this is so relevant. Instead, they were just like circles, squares. I was like, I don't I don't care about that.
0: Pythagorean theory. You're like, what? <laughs>
1: what? No, no. But if you say like, yeah, a mound, chest of drawers has to fit in between your two wardrobes. I'd be like, oh, yes, I need this. <laughs> please teach
0: me. Well, that's relevant. It's so yeah. relevant.
1: Most of the things we learned at school was actually relevant. Yeah. <laughs> if they had just framed it differently or if they had... God, I don't understand why we don't learn taxes. I don't understand why it has to be so difficult. Anyways, what would you. So, if. What would you tell young people about sex? What would you. What do you. What are some of the important lessons that you've learned that you would want to pass on? I think that you think the schools might not want to. Uh, want you to say?
0: I think it would just be really. Great to have more open discussions around the types of sex people have, you know, whether it's sort of casual partners, regular partners, and like for example, consent being like a massive part of those conversations, and also sexual health, like and it not just being a sort of terrifying thing, but just a a way more like because I remember, yeah, and obviously sex for procreation like was the, the thing that was taught but actually and at the right ages you know sex for pleasure like and that sex can feel good and that there's no shame in it like and exploring that with people who are consenting is really great like and that that's something to look forward to and not the sort of immediate fears of oh, the, those things I think that would be a yeah.
1: How was your relationship with shame? Was shame a part of your, like, emotional world as you were growing up?
0: Yeah, I remember the first kind of couple of experiences I had that were, you know, because I've been sexually active since I was 11 years old and meeting men from the internet since I was 14 years old. And I remember some of those experiences afterwards feeling shame because of, you know, growing up in a religious household and what kind of religion? Methodist Christian. So is that the one I <laughs> it's not like as hardcore as other religions, but you know, still within the what was taught at school with like a man and a woman and like, you know, heteronormative confines and you know knowing that you exist outside of that and then not really being sure where you fit and yeah I kind of had a certain amount of things I had to work through and also then when I was older I found that my relationship to sex would only kind of like sex and alcohol were and substance were like intrinsically like sort of linked and that when I became sober even, like, which was 2015, so I was, like, 26, like, sober sex was quite something where I was like, oh, wow, like, I I feel like I'm relearning a language that I've been speaking for a while, but, like, I would only seem to have if I was, you know, I'd had a few drinks with someone and I was, like, ready to take clothes off or go to that position of, like, intimacy with them, and, yeah, so it it's something that I feel like I've, Learned, and i've completely forgotten the question but like that shame shame yeah so like my relationship to shame within like sex and also myself and also how i'm seen by the world and like not being ashamed to be like naked in front of people or like in the right context obviously but like yeah it's it's something that you still have to work I, I guess that's like something still where it's like i'm gonna you have to work on in different ways
1: and about how do people usually react when you talk about um having been sexually active since you were eleven because I can imagine that's something that's controversial and i I have you know i where I grew up that was fairly normal as well. I was very 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 late with being sixteen years old um Is that something you think back back to in a, like with some retrospective thoughts about that? Um, I
0: think potentially like, you know, some of the things I think about are in regards to, you know, meeting people from the internet or being in like online chat rooms and knowing in a certain sense that, I wanted to connect with people, but then I guess certain. I I I've often said recently I'm glad that screen recordings aren't a thing, well weren't a thing when I was growing up, and like I mean maybe they were, but I don't think they were. But like because I was doing like webcam shows, like while I was underage, like, and I don't. I'm I'm glad. I feel like that doesn't exist. Yeah. That's not something that I would, you know, when I was exploring my sexuality. So I don't even know how kids must feel these days with, like, so much pressure around them of, like, yeah. social media documentation and, like, how that would feel to grow up now.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I did I did that. but I would be on sex internet chat f- uh, rooms. And I would say I was 16, but I was not.
0: Yeah, I, completely I would lie. Oh, I'd yeah. Be, yeah.
1: I remember, I remember someone once said to me, you know, you've been 16 for three years now. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> no, but now I actually am? And they are yeah. like, fuck no.
0: <laughs> that happened to me with, like, getting into bars. On my 18th birthday, I produced my passport to the doorman and was like, here we go. Here's my ID that I've, like, never had. And I'd be like, oh, I left it at home, or, oh, yeah. it's in the wash, or, <laughs> oh. Like, and he was like, wait, your 18th birthday is today? And he... <laughs> I was like, yeah. He's like, so what? You've been lying the whole time and we've been letting you in and we could have had our license. And I was like, oh.
1: Yeah, but now you're not. Now
0: it's fine. (laughs) And I think because my friends were always in there and the amount of money that I used to spend going out, they were like, hmm. (laughs) But yeah, that whole getting caught out on your age thing.
1: Well, how many people have been thinking? I mean, it's when you think about it, it's kind of horrible because they would have thought you were... Old, like illegal. Yeah. And I was just like, absolutely not.
0: What happened with the chat rooms that you were in? What kind of.
1: I think it was mostly sexting, and I think it was mostly me pretending to be whatever I thought I should be. So it was me being like, I'm 21, I'm thin and blonde, and like, whatever, really just hot and. Yeah, I just want to have sex with you, and I just wanted people to want me. Well, men, I want men to want me, and I was just exploring. I won't say my sexuality, but that. But I've always been really curious. I started working in a sex shop again because I lied about my age. Yeah. In a very, they were very, they were like, "But you are, you are eighteen, right?" And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> They're like, "Then we will trust you on that." I was like, "Okay." And I was sixteen, I think, and I loved it. I love, because I think what I discovered with it, one thing is, you know, men on the internet, that was not where you learn that this is the most amazing thing in the world. But um, when I started working in a sex shop, I started meeting sex workers and talking to sex workers and, you know, because I had this, you know, the classic conservative idea of sex work is bad, blah, 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 blah. And then I started talking to these sex workers, and I was like, oh, my God, this is this is not bad, and this is not shameful, and, you know, I met people who came in and bought these things, and that I knew a lot of people would be ashamed of, and, you know, I worked with a BDSM, uh, Japanese bondage artist, and I just, and then I got involved with the more, there was a sex forum where people just talked about sex, but in a very normal way, it was very just like, oh, hey, what's a good position for this thing, or, um, you know, and I would, I would be like the. They all knew I was younger, so they were all very nice to me. And I was like, I have a question. What is a- no? anal? They were like, Oh, we've done that loads. So I could tell you about it. <laughs> and it, I really felt liberated. I felt like I'd found, I felt like I found a community of people who got it. Mm. And I think, in retrospect, that wasn't even just a sexuality I think it was just about finding people who didn't really give a shit about conventions or didn't really give a shit about what you should be or what you were supposed to be or, you know, they didn't really give a shit about what society said was normal and they were just like, we are this and then we're all in this together. And if we all, it's like that idea of if everyone's naked, well, what can we hide from each other? You know, we've kind of gone past that pretense. And I really loved it. I really loved being a part of that. And I don't think comedy for me felt that different to that. And I don't think the fat community has felt that different from that, or the, the queer community. Yeah. It is just all of us who don't fit in or who are not necessarily trying to fit in with what you're meant to be.
0: Yeah.
1: Is that ringing a bell? It makes,
0: yeah. <laughs> that feels, my heart felt warm and when you oh. were just discussing that and about that <laughs> finding people that are so right. like you or caring or can give you that information. or Yeah.
1: And when you, I've, I've slept with a few, quite a few people who Seemed sexually repressed in a way, and that's that can be for many different reasons. But for some of them, it felt like it was just the fact that it's still taboo. Yeah, and that was you know quite vanilla, hetero, <laughs> missionary. You know, like the the most common. You know, in uh, what's it called? What is it called? Air quotes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like. I think it really drains so much from people being restrained, feeling restrained, feeling ashamed Mm. of themselves. And I've met people with fetishes who, when they told me about their fetishes, they were like shivering and like terrified of, that I would what, spit on them or, (laughs) unless that was what they wanted, of course. But yeah, yeah. I think that's why I'm so curious to hear about your thoughts about shame, because it is such a... Especially in this country, it's such a huge thing, it's almost...
0: Yeah, it really is, it's like massive here and I think when I spent some time in San Francisco and felt like there was a different relationship to sex there and how like people were way more open about talking about sex and the experiences I had going... I went to an amazing sex party called Slumber Sexual which was a slumber party kind of themed sex party and it was really like amazing there was this drag queen who is wonderful she's called grace towers who uh started the night with giving a speech about consent and then they showed films and there were lots of beds around and people kind of came and wearing nightwear or whatever made them feel sexy and they showed i went around halloween and they showed hocus pocus And Batman Returns with Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Oh, yeah. Oh, my
1: God, I remember that. Yeah,
0: it was just amazing to be in this kind of really gorgeous, progressive sex party environment that was really relaxed and kind and lovely, and and them showing films. Like, yeah. You have Bette Midler singing, I Put a Spell on You. (laughs) And then you look around, and someone's getting fisted, and you're like, this is the best place I've ever been in my (laughs) life. This is my Disneyland.
1: that's amazing yeah where do you find that in your where do you find that space not like actual physical sex party space but that feeling of, yeah oh, oh, it's all okay where do you, how do you find that in your day to day life
0: well I think sometimes you just have to create those spaces for yourself and find the people that you can engage in those kind of scenarios with and not you know like fantasy and like creating and making yeah just I think you have to work on like like you work on happiness, like you work on like removing shame from your life. You know, finding really exciting sexual energy spaces is something that you with a partner, with multiple partners, is something that I think you have to work on. Like and I'm I guess with like having toured, that was the one great thing, you know, I was. I really did enjoy meeting lots of different people in lots of different places and that was a massive part of it too where I was able to like build those relationships and make friendships and find lots of people that had different sexual interests that I could explore with them.
1: And did you all, I mean, I feel like I'm trying to remember if this is a problematic question, so let me know if it is. I'm just, I'm just trying to. There's something about this problematic. Have you always known you were gay, queer, whatever you identify as?
0: Well, I guess. I mean, I guess it does. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> it's the offensive bit is of me saying whatever no, you I don't find that offensive I mean, because it, I, I guess I always knew that I was different in regards to what I was being taught and that didn't feel like stuff that was always relevant or it always felt like there was more that I should be learning. But then I also found that, I mean, I came out when I was 13 in high school and I just was very, I was in, from an earlier age, I think I knew a lot of stuff. But even little things like, the way that the boys in school would I just there was like the sports and all of those things and what I was interested in was like I didn't feel like I fit within that I remember once like my mum used to allow me to like do all sorts of things at home like wear dresses paint my nails and she was very supportive and like I remember once going swimming and I'd painted my nails over the holidays and I looked down and my toenails were still painted and I remember being terrified because I remembered that was like oh I should have taken this off because people are going to comment and that's going to be something that's going to be detrimental and yeah just that fear of being myself like and that I must have been about like five or six when that was That's like an early, early memory of like being in some way wanting to explore like gender, dressing up, like who I was, but knowing I couldn't do it within other people around because I'd be made fun of. And I remember like walking with my toes curled under and like being so scared that people would see.
1: I feel like people sometimes forget... Or don't take into consideration how um, stressful the feeling of fear is because mm-hmm. that's very very young to feel that amount of fear based on something that should be f- absolutely fine you know that's you know and if you take that and you assume that a lot of people who felt that way will feel that way for the rest of their lives I mean you, it's such a strain on your emotional health
0: mm-hmm. and you know, the idea that there's probably still a lot of people that aren't, that still feel that way because of the way that, you know, if you walk the street, people would shout out of cars or, you know, and that we're all quite scared and it's... Yeah, there's... I guess with it being Pride Month at the moment, I've been feeling a lot of certain ways about things in regards to like fear because you know it's still there's still a long way to go evidently with what's happening at the moment for the lgbtq community and yeah it's it's like even myself sometimes when i'm back in blackpool you know there's certain parts of me where i'm like i maybe don't dress The way I feel like I could in London or Brighton because I feel like that's going to cause something. And there are certain days where I'm okay with putting on those clothes and being like, I'm dressing in the way I want to. And then there are other days where I'm like, I'm not in the headspace for that at the moment and I'm going to dress in a certain way. And I think that obviously both are valid and it's fine to like protect yourself of course but the fact that you know thinking about your safety and that's me being you know with the certain amount of privileges that i have anyway you know but that's yeah it's like the fact that we're in 2019 and it's you know kids we've we've come so far but there's still that amount of fear in the world
1: yeah it feels like it's the reaction it feels like it was going better and better and better mm-hmm. and now the reaction to that is coming, like they're getting really scared now because, and that's not to say, you know, that's not to have any kind of sympathy for those people but it, it does feel like a very violent reaction to something that is inherently really good, like progress, it's really good, we're learning and we're learning so much more and but then it feels like they're just like you know, instead of taking it back to where they felt comfortable, they want to take it back to the nineteen fifties, and they want to. It feels so extreme at the moment, and I, I mean, yeah. So you, so do you feel more scared now than you did maybe the same month last year?
0: I think I'm just way more aware as well that it is getting worse at the moment, and that I think you're right. That sort of backlash, the amount of liberal progress that was made and just uh, you you know with friends of mine that are harassed daily on the internet and seeing certain images in the last couple of weeks of you know the lesbian couple that were beaten up on the bus because those 15 to 18 year olds were trying to make them kiss Mm. and the sort of protests against LGBTQ inclusive education and the straight pride in Boston and, you know, YouTube and their, like, comments about not removing videos that contained those homophobic views. And it's like, what what year are we in? What's It's the, going it's, on?
1: It's the first year in Edinburgh where... I'm just really aware of there's more shows than I ever remember having been there before that are, like, right-wing. Oh. I mean, I only know about comedy shows, but there are quite a few actively right-wing, like, openly right You know, there's always been, you know, Andrew Lawrence, but then, you know, in his show, he didn't actually make any comments, but, you know, he made a few on social media. But these times, the show are called, like, the offensive comedy show, not for snowflakes, you know, that whole, right. you know, it's outright just, you know, I was asked to be this, I don't even know what he is, if he's a reality person or a YouTuber, whatever he is. I got asked to be in the lineup called this guy's name and friends. Yeah. And the email was like, yeah, he'd love to have you on the bill. So I was like, oh, I just don't know who this is. I'm just going to go and look. And he's like, and like <laughs> pro Brexit and pro um, Nigel Farage and I was reading through his timeline it was all about like yeah the left being s- oversensitive and blah 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 and I was like no I'm sorry I don't think I can make it to do this you know I, yeah. and I've never had to check lineups for people who I would feel unsafe with before because I would yeah. assume that they were in comedy and now we're suddenly going to this beautiful beautiful amazing festival and there will be shows that are unsafe yeah and i've there was a person who came to my show in seventeen who afterwards said that um she'd been to see a comedian who isn't even known for being right wing he's known for being you know provocative but and his show had huge success and um she said to me that he'd done a few like ironic um homophobic jokes. And, you know, this very lefty audience had been like, ha, 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 ha. No, we we're not like that, but ha, ha. And, then, and she was the only one in the room who looked visibly queer. And she said, um, yeah, when she walked out, if two people in the audience uh, would, like, said something homophobic to her without the irony. And I remember thinking, this is horrible. Like, this is horrible. And now I'm like, that's, that, that you know, that's now becoming more normal for them to just outright, not even with the irony, just straight up being awful people. And I think that is, I think comedy always felt safe for me, which is such a privileged thing. For uh, for D that's a Danish word. Because, um, you know, that's because I'm privileged in a lot of ways. Um, You know, my whiteness and uh, not visible queerness if you don't have fatness and stuff. But it just felt sort of like the place where people would at least... Want to do the right thing, where now, oh, they're just there and they're just like in their blurbs. They're like, hello, I'm right wing, fuck all of you. And you're like, fucking hell, so how is this okay? How are we not? Mm. Why are you letting them into Edinburgh? It's such a beautiful place.
0: I didn't, yeah, you, you don't think that those kinds of hubs of artistic activity will contain that as fervently but now of course
1: and yeah it's their soapbox and it's so annoying
0: because they can pay for registration and pay for the venue fee
1: yeah and they're just little like everyone supportive annoying supporters will just be like yeah freedom of speech <laughs> like, fucking hell. not comedy please don't take comedy <laughs> I want to ask you um, a question that I always ask, which is this. Uh, What would you like for me to ask you?
0: You can see the cogs whirring if people can't hear them. But that silence is cogs whirring. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Maybe you had a... Maybe as you were walking here, you had a thought about what you thought I might ask you. And maybe you'd already thought about what you wanted to say or... Maybe you're tired of talking about the same old things. Maybe you want to talk about your favorite movie or you want to talk more, you know, basically you know yourself better than anyone else. You know what.
0: What do you want to be when you grow up?
1: That's a nice question. When was the last time someone asked you that?
0: I can't remember.
1: <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up?
0: I think I'd like to have founded a queer commune. Yes where lots of people can come and live, and we can all be together, looking after each other, existing outside of sort of that heteronormative structure. And, yeah, I'd like to found a queer commune.
1: And do you not feel like you've grown up yet?
0: Um, Do we ever? (laughs) Dun-dun-dun! I feel like, in some regards... I've grown up, but I also feel like there's still so much to learn. And I'm very excited about putting myself in scenarios where I can just carry on learning.
1: Do you think that because of all of the sort of darkness, Mm. um, do you think that sort of stuff makes you, like pushes you to learning quicker or maybe more thoroughly than people who've not had as much you know it's sometimes when i talk to people who've who you know and they say it themselves they're like "No, oh, i've had a really easy life everything's mm. been great and i feel like they've not had to build up the same they've not had to look into their own lives as much they've not had to you know learn as much about their own means of self-protection and yeah you know what makes me feel safe What? who am I what is my identity because it's always just been okay for them do you know what I mean
0: mm. I think definitely and obviously with experiences you wouldn't have wished for them to happen mm. but you can take something from them and I think that you can take that thing which is the strength and the resilience and The courage to continue, and like you that you then transfer that to fight for other people and lift them up and protect others. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Where it's like I have to take from my experiences that have been bad and the cards that have been dealt that weren't great something good from it, otherwise, why? And if we can take that, you know the fighting spirit to continue progress in the face of darkness, then that's the sort of radical things we can do where it's about self-care and looking after others and going and fighting in the ways that we can.
1: That's the perfect setup for the very last question that I always ask on the podcast, which is this. So you're in the delivery room, and you have just been born, okay? But you now, you're holding Tiny Harry. And he is crying, right? Because it was just nice and dark and warm and comfortable inside the womb and everything was fine. And then now there's lights and sounds and people and, and he's looking at you like, what the fuck? Is this it? Is this gonna? Is this life now? Is this forever? Is this always going to be lights and sounds? Because that sounds horrible. And he's looking at you, and you know how the next 30 years of his life are going to look. And um, you can say something to him. You can't give him any advice. You can't change anything. So anything you say that's like, do this or be this or you should do this, that won't work. That's not the point. Because nothing will change. But for this very moment, you get to tell him what his life is going to be. What would you say to teeny tiny crying baby you
0: your life is going to be extraordinary the things that you stress about in your teenage years about being different about not fitting in about being a weirdo are the things that are going to be your ultimate strengths and that are going to make you stand out and make people pay attention and notice when you actually own them and use it to empower you. When the bad things happen, you will push through and on the other side is a strength, a courage and a determination that you didn't know you had it's really queer it's really amazing you have some wonderful friends and things get pretty ridiculous but also super cool so just power through sit with this in those moments of darkness and know that you get through them
1: Do you still need to be told that?
0: Sometimes, yes. Sometimes in those moments of panic or anxiety, it's just talking myself down. Look at all the things that you've done. Look at what you're capable of. Look at the powerful friendships that you have that really feed you and that give you all that love, you can get through this. Like you got through the things before.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank it's you so, so much great. for having me.
1: So, where can people find your work and your stuff?
0: Well, Sex Education, uh, my debut solo theatre show is at Summer Hall from the 31st of July to the 25th of August, 10 past seven in the evening. Oh
1: no, we clash. Oh my god. Oh my god. Well, that's just me. So go, go on. Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I'm doing a project called The Fortnite, which is 14 brand new eight-hour performance pieces consecutively performed. I'm going to be doing that in Blackpool in September. And, excitingly, I made a short film with an amazing director, Grammy-nominated, uh, whose name is David Wilson, who saw one of my stage acts and was like that would make an amazing short film and we turned it into one we shot it in january and that's going to be in the uh, sort of film festival circuit from september onwards that's so
1: exciting yeah what's it called is that
0: oh i, I can't say too much okay, yet fair, absolutely. other fair. than it's happening that's so exciting yeah
1: and what are you called on social media
0: at h clayton wright or just type harry clayton right you'll find me
1: wonderful anything else you
0: want to you are wonderful
1: yes that's exactly what i was wondering <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you so much
0: thank you so much for having me
1: isn't harry great i'm sure you love him as much as i do right now um i just want to remind you that uh, after the conversation with the guest i will uh i, I will uh, I turn off the recorder And then I save the file and then I open a new file and I record a new conversation with that person where I ask them uh, six questions, the same six questions for each guest. And it's uh, stuff like, what's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done? What's the stupidest thing you did as a teenager? uh, Can you recommend Like just anything, basically like a a theater show, a a song, uh, an an app, a podcast, anything like that? I ask... um, what's an unpopular opinion of yours, that always, always gets juicy. And if you want to listen to that, you can become a patron, which you can do uh, over patreon.com forward slash mopod, M-O-H-P-O-D, and you can listen. And I've done this for, ooh, I don't know how many now, 10, 20 of the guests, so uh, f- a fair bit back. You can go and listen to all of their answers. Some of them are so good. I... I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is worth becoming a patron for. And Patreon works in the way that you uh, find out what you want to donate per episode. And then at the end of the month, it all just happens automatically. So it's almost like a subscription. And it's really nice. And if you give $5, it's all in dollars, but you can, you can what's it called? Subvert? <laughs> Convert. Whatever, that in your head or on the internet, which I would have to do. Then um, you can see how much a dollar is now in whatever money you're you have in your wherever you're listening <laughs> you know what I mean um and if you give more than five dollars per episode you become a friend of the podcast meaning that I'm going to butcher your name at the end of the episode which is what's about to happen now so I want to say a huge thank you to Andrea and I'm just at the time of this recording this is what so if you if you just signed up your name isn't mentioned it's because I've recorded this before you signed up but you will be mentioned eventually so I want to say a massive thank you to Andrea Papillon, Andrew January, uh, Andy Walker, Ashley Salmon, Autumn Bluesky, Barry Norton, Caitlin, Cat Posse, Kat, uh, Kathy Beveridge, uh, Cherry Winter, Claire McCowlin, uh, Connor O'Donovan, Danny Beckett, Daniel Rivesh, Daphne Fanger, Eleanor, Emma Chan, Fanella Dunn Privacy, Osaurus, Aurora, Pterodactyls, Fiona Richardson, Hannah Rose Tristram, uh, Harold Van Dyke, Harry Minne, Minne? Min Minned. Min- 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 minute. Uh, Heather Watson, Ida Sølgaard-Larsen, Janie Mahoney, Josie, Kathleen Gulmanson, Kathy Draxelbauer, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Engelsen, Katie, Travis, Kim David, no, Kim Williams, Kirsten Davidson, Queen T, Harry and Lily French, this time in Dinosaur Onesies, M Dash, Maury Fraser, Mansomir, Mir, uh, Dubalova, Megan Roberts, Paul Swallow, Perpetual Motion, Pierre Feneux, Rachel Evenheim, Rachel Furley, Rachel Phillips, that's the three Rachels, still in the lead. Uh, Ragdoll, Robert Knowles, Robin Kappa, Russell Hughes, Sarah Ferreira Seth, Sarah Ellert, Sarah Plumer, Susie Tyler, and Victoria Layton. Oh, you're absolute heroes. Um, just absolute heroes. So thank you so much for donating. And to those of you who uh, give one off donations, I am also very, very very grateful for that. I know I don't mention you enough, but um, it really helps a lot. This whole Patreon thing is, you have no idea how helpful you are. I really appreciate it. And yeah, uh, I yeah, I guess I'll speak to you next week. Thank you to Dave Pickering for producing this episode, to Kitty Edgar for doing the admin, Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and to Linda Brinkhouse for the logo. Thank you to uh, Bill Murray for letting me record this episode there. And yeah, I'll speak to you all next week. Bye. No